you can stay standing for the word of God, John 4, 7 to 29. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that's saying this to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, and did, as did his sons and the livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The, the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands. And the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when... Neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now here, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking to a woman, but no one said, what do you seek, or why are you talking with a woman? So the woman left her, so the woman left her jar and went away into town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? Amen. Um, so now you can turn to the back here. And we're going to talk about how Jesus shared the gospel. 
1 Peter 3.15, Peter says, Always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Always, anyone. Always be prepared to share the gospel with anyone. Now, why don't we share the gospel? It's the best news ever. We know it. We believe it. But for some reason, we keep it to ourselves. I have lived most of my life believing that I should share the gospel, believing that it is one of the greatest uses of my time, believing that really it's the most important thing that I can do with my life. Yes, I have shared the gospel in the church, in church settings, in a program, on a missions trip, but rarely have I shared the gospel with another person. One-on-one with a non-believer, I clam up. I don't know what to say. I'm so afraid that I'm going to say it wrong that I don't say anything. Another lost soul comes across my path and never hears about Jesus. At least that was how it was for me until I read this book called Any Three. And today I want to talk to you about sharing the gospel using the Any Three evangelism strategy, which comes straight from John chapter 4, which Veronica read to us this morning. So a few years ago, uh, I went to Indonesia with my family. We spent about half of the time on the island of Java, which is mostly Muslim, and we spent the other half of our time on the island of Bali, which is mostly Hindu. And in preparation for our trip to Indonesia, uh, our missionary friend Steve, he said, read the book Any Three. That's how we share the gospel. So a few months before the trip, our family started reading the book. And any three has two subtitles, not just one. You know a book is going to be good when it has two subtitles. Anyone, anywhere, anytime. Lead Muslims to Christ now. So the first subtitle, anyone, anywhere, anytime. Author Mike Shipman, he encourages us to share the gospel with anyone. Anywhere and at any time. So first, you can share the gospel with anyone, with adults and with children, with men or with women, with people of any ethnicity or any religion. You can share the gospel with people who are close to you, with friends, with family, with neighbors and coworkers. You can share the gospel with random strangers, taxi drivers, people next to you on an airplane or a bus ride people you'll likely never see again. And sometimes it's a little less scary sharing the gospel with people you don't have to see in the future. You think, hmm, if this goes badly, it's nice knowing that I will never see you again. (laughs) Also, you can share the gospel anywhere, at home, out to lunch, at work, walking down the street, on an airplane, on a bus. My favorite is with Uber drivers. Most of them are saved now. (laughs) At school, a grocery store, or a park. I actually had one Uber driver. He was was Buddhist. He was Buddhist. And uh, 
and I uh, had an hour drive, so I had got him, he got the full package. And, uh, but he, he got so excited, and he was smiling, and he was like, thank you. He thanked me like three or four times. He's like, no one's ever told me that before. You think that everybody's heard it from someone else. Well, they haven't. They need to hear it from you. You can share the gospel through a letter, a phone call, an email. You can share the gospel on social media or face-to-face at a coffee shop. And you can share the gospel anytime, morning, noon, or night. You can share the gospel after you've had a good night's sleep or when you're really tired. When you're in a good mood or when you're in a bad mood. When you're gung-ho to evangelize or when you just want to relax, when you want some me time. Always be prepared to share your faith with anyone, anywhere, at any time. Now notice the the second subtitle. Lead Muslims to Christ now. Very bold subtitle. Especially in light of the fact that in many places in our world, people will kill you for making such a statement. It's okay for you to follow Jesus in Indonesia, but if you try to get a Muslim to turn away from their religion and become a Christian, there are people who will see to it that that is the last thing you do. And it says, lead Muslims to Christ now. Now is such an important word. It is the difference between a life well-lived and looking back on a life of regrets. Do it now. Buy the book now. Start reading it now. Call that loved one now. Invite that friend to coffee now. 2 Corinthians 6.2 says, Indeed, the right time is now. Today is the day of salvation. There is a sense in which today is God's day and tomorrow is the devil's day. Psalm 118, verse 24, this is the day that the Lord has made. He has given you today. He may not give you tomorrow. So as they say, do your loving while you're living. Start shining the light today. Ephesians 5, 16 Awake, O sleeper, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. There is a sense of urgency. We never know how much time we have left. We have today. Now is the time to take action and start sharing your faith with others. And notice it says, lead Muslims to Christ now. The context of the book, any three, is sharing the gospel with Muslims. Most of the illustrations focus on sharing the gospel with the adherents of Islam, the followers of Muhammad, and his book, the Quran. And Muslims can be tough to witness to. If you can share the gospel with a Muslim, you can share the gospel with anyone. If you train for a marathon in the mountains, you will do well when you run a 10K in the valley. Now, you might argue, but I don't know any Muslims. Most of the people I will be sharing the gospel with are not Muslims. Maybe this book is not for me. 
And I wondered that too when I first read it. But personally, I haven't had any problem at all applying the principles of any three evangelism to whatever context I'm sharing the gospel. It easily crosses over to sharing the gospel with Mormons, with the Orthodox, with Catholics, with atheists, with agnostics, with Buddhists, with Hindus, with Jews, etc. And at the end of any three, Mike Shipman has a section where he specifically talks about sharing the gospel with Buddhists, with Hindus, and even a section about sharing the gospel with nominal Christians. Now, that can be tricky. These people who claim to be Christian, but who don't really know the gospel. Plus, you may find that you start encountering Muslims more regularly. I know I have. Every week when I drive here to church, I drive past a mosque that is under construction on Todd Road right here in Santa Rosa. They are moving into the neighborhood. Chapter one of any three is titled God at Work in the Muslim World. I'm going to read a little bit to you. Islam is the fastest growing religion in the world. But what if I were to tell you that in my country, thousands of Muslims are now turning to the gospel, accepting Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, and embracing a new life as his followers? It's true. Over the past five years, tens of thousands of Muslims around the world have given their lives to Jesus as Lord and Savior. In this book, you will travel into the middle of one of the fastest growing movements of Muslims to Christ. You will see just how and why more than 9,000 Muslims in one Southeast Asian country have said yes to Jesus and been born again. You will learn how more than 3,500 of these have been baptized into new churches that have reproduced themselves as many as eight and nine times, producing hundreds of fellowships of new believers. Just as important, you will learn how you too can effectively bring Muslims to faith in Jesus Christ, anyone, anywhere, anytime. The challenge of Islam. While it's true that Islam is the fastest growing religion in the world today, a closer look at the growth reveals why it is growing. The largest factor by far is biological reproduction. Not only are Muslim families producing more children than most of the societies around them, thanks to improvements in healthcare and living conditions, more of their children are growing up to raise families of their own. The result is a population explosion in the Muslim world that is spilling over into countries around the globe. What this means for you is that you will face the growing reality of Islam. If you have not already, you will eventually find yourself with Muslim neighbors, classmates, or coworkers. In short, Christians today will encounter Islam. The question is, will we encounter it well or poorly? So any three lays out how Jesus shared the gospel with the woman at the well. 
Yeah, and I'm not saying that this is the only way to share the gospel. There's a lot of different strategies and things that are helpful. Um, and you may have some that are helpful to you. Go for it. Keep using those if they work for you. But this is based on how Jesus shared the gospel with the woman at the well in John chapter 4. And I'm not going to unpack the whole text, but I want to point out a few things that Jesus did in sharing the gospel with this woman. Number one is connection. He makes a connection with her personally. Two, transition. Jesus transitions to spiritual things. Three is sin. He addresses the issue of sin. Number four is savior. He introduces her to the savior. And number five is sharing. The evangelized becomes the evangelist. The acrostic would be C-T-S-S-S. I don't know. We can do cats, cuts, cooties, <laughs> coats. There you go, coats. If you don't like cats, coats is good. Uh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just pray that you would bless the reading of your word, the preaching of your word. God, I, I can't do anything, Lord, and, and I, I'm so dependent on you. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would just fill me and fill this room, that you would open hearts to the gospel this morning, that you'd encourage us um, with the good news that Jesus Christ has died for our sins and the good news that he has risen from the dead. In Jesus' name, amen. So, number one is connection. Jesus makes a connection with this woman. He says, give me a drink. He meets a woman at a well, and how natural it is to talk about water. This woman is thinking about water, so he talks about water. The first step to sharing the gospel is to not share the gospel. Instead, Take the time to connect personally with another human being. Jesus uses the any three principle of sharing the gospel with anyone, anywhere, anytime. I guess he read the book. So this was a Samaritan woman, and Jewish men did not talk to Samaritans, much less Samaritan women. But that didn't stop Jesus. He would share the good news with anyone. And this was a woman with a bad reputation. And Jesus was not afraid of being seen with her. She was not a good woman. She was not a deserving woman. She was lost. But the good shepherd left the 99 to go after her soul. She was spiritually sick. And the great physician stopped off in Samaria to minister healing. Jesus is at a well. And that's as good of a place as any. He's traveling through Samaria on his way to Galilee. He's going somewhere else to do something else. He's on a trip. Road trip. You know, sometimes we get so focused on the destination that we miss out on opportunities along the way. During the journey... Our minds are so laser-focused on where we're going that we lose sight of the fact that good things can happen along the way. Let's get moving, folks. We are on the way to see the family in Kentucky. Chop, 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 chop. Move, 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 move. We've got to avoid the traffic. We've got to get there by dinner time. But what if God drops an opportunity in your lap during lunch at Carl's Jr. in Missouri? 
Are you going to miss that opportunity because you're so focused on getting to Kentucky? Jesus is on his way from Judea to Galilee, but he takes the time to minister to this woman and to her community along the way. Number two is transition. And I think for a lot of us, that's the hard one. We, we can get a conversation going with a lost person, but how do we switch over to talking about spiritual things? Jesus does it by talking about living water. Since we're on the subject of water, let me tell you about living water. Let me tell you about water that can give you eternal life. It's so easy with a lost person to start chit-chatting about the dogs, the weather, the warriors, and never transition to spiritual things. Jesus, having the advantage of omniscience, was able to transition on a dime. But for those of us who can't read minds and who don't already know everything about the other person that we're talking to, this takes more time. We need to find out what they believe and where they're coming from. Uh, one time I was talking to a sheik, and I just asked him about his religion, and he was telling me all about it and all that. And, and I wasn't even trying to share the gospel at all. And, and then at the end of him talking for 15 minutes, he's like, well, what do you believe? And I was like, uh, uh, uh. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> you know? And the Lord just dropped that opportunity in my lap. I encourage you to pray for divine appointments. Pray that God would open doors for you to share the gospel today. 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 And this week. With any three, they suggest asking this question. Are you Christian, Buddhist, Hindu, or Muslim? You might try it just for fun, but that's what they say. Because in Indonesia, everyone on their government paperwork has to check off what religion they are, and those are the four options. Now, in our context, obviously, there are more options. So often, I will ask this question. I will say, do you have a spiritual background? I used to ask, do you have any spiritual beliefs? But I found that that got too personal too quickly. And in our day of cancel culture, many people are very hesitant to tell you what they actually believe. However, people are often very willing to tell you about their spiritual background. I grew up Catholic. Oh, my parents were Jews, or they were atheists or agnostics. And then you can transition to actual beliefs later on. Number three is sin. Jesus addresses the issue of sin. He says, go call your husband. He sticks his finger on the sore spot. He knows that she has had five husbands and that she is currently living in an adulterous relationship with a man who is not her husband. Again, Jesus' omniscience allows him to move seamlessly and quickly into the issue of sinfulness. Now keep this in mind. If you have not talked about sin, you have not shared the gospel. No sin, no gospel. Because the gospel is the good news that Jesus saves people from their sin. In Peter's sermon at Pentecost, he says in Acts 2.23, talk about not being politically correct, he says, you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death. He's speaking to a Jewish crowd in Jerusalem, and a very quick and easy way to get to the issue of sinfulness is to point out, you killed Jesus. With any three, they simply ask this question. 
What are you doing to pay off your sin debt? What are you doing to pay off your sin debt? And most religious people agree that there is right and wrong and that they have done wrong. They agree that they have a sin debt that needs to be paid off or taken care of. The question assumes that they know they are a sinner. And for a lot of people, they do. If they don't know they are sinners, they will often tell you very quickly. And I have had a couple people that would not admit any sinfulness. They would not admit that they'd done anything wrong. And with these people, you have to establish sinfulness and impending judgment before you can move forward. So number one, establish sinfulness. So in those cases, I will use a little Ray Comfort on them. If you haven't listened to his sermon, Hell's Best Kept Secret, that is your homework for this week. Hell's Best Kept Secret. Like Ray encourages, I will go through some of the Ten Commandments. Have you ever told a lie? Yeah. So what does that make you? A sinner? No, no, no. More specifically, a liar. Have you ever stolen anything? What does that make you? A thief. Have you ever harbored hatred in your heart against another person? What does that make you? Because Jesus equates hatred with murder. And then Comfort says, I've only gone through three of the Ten Commandments, and by your own testimony, you've admitted that you're a liar, a thief, and a murderer. So, on Judgment Day, do you think you'll be innocent or guilty? And they'll say, uh, guilty. So do you think you'll go to heaven or hell? And usually they'll say, heaven. And I'll scratch my head. Uh, heaven, but you said you're guilty. Well, yeah, but God is good, and he wouldn't send me to hell. Number two, you have to establish judgment. And this is where I use the courtroom illustration. Imagine you're in a courtroom, and the judge brings down the gavel and says, guilty as charged. Then you walk up to the judge and you say, your honor, yes, I know I'm guilty. I have been caught red-handed, but I also know that you're a good judge and you're going to let me off. And the judge will say, you're right about one thing. I am a good judge. And because I'm a good judge, I must punish liars, thieves, and murderers. Do you see? Ultimately, God's goodness is actually our greatest problem. Because God is good, he must punish sinners. So back to the question. What are you doing to get your sins forgiven? Number four is Savior. Jesus introduces her to the Savior, which is pretty easy for him. He just says, you're looking at him. I am he. We've got to get them to the gospel. We've got to get them to Jesus, the one who can save them from the consequences of their sin. So this woman talks about the Messiah and what the Messiah will do, and Jesus simply says, I am he. When we ask someone, what are you doing to get your sins forgiven? Or what are you doing so that you can go to heaven? Or if you remember evangelism explosion. If you were to stand before the pearly gates and stand before God and he were to ask you, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? They will usually start telling you about their good deeds. I help the poor. I'm nice. The highest of virtue in our society. Second highest, I'm not racist. 
I don't cheat on my wife. If they're more religious, they might say, I fast, I pray, I go to church. And then you can basically say to them, so how is that working for you? Is your sin debt paid off yet? Well, I'm not quite sure about that. Okay, that's fair. Well, when will it be paid off? Hmm, I don't know. Okay, on judgment day, will your sins be forgiven? And usually they'll say, I don't know. To which I respond, your eternal soul is at stake. You face the most important question of your life, and you have no certainty. Isn't that a little scary? If I were in your shoes, I would be really scared. But what I believe is different. And this is where we transition to the gospel. I believe we can know that our sins are forgiven. Our problem is that we can never be good enough to pay for our sin. And that is why Jesus died on the cross in our place. To pay the price for our sin because we could never pay it ourselves. Every other religion in the world teaches you what you have to do to save yourself. But Christianity teaches us to trust in Jesus to save us. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. And three days later, he rose from the dead, proving that he is the Savior of the world. Dead saviors save no souls. Then you can ask them where they stand. Do you believe? Do you believe that Jesus died for your sins and rose from the dead? A friend of mine, he told me that it was that very question that got him saved. An older lady was talking to him about Jesus and the gospel, and he smiled and he nodded. And he's like, oh, that's really nice. And he played along. And then she looked him square in the eyes and she said, do you believe? And in that moment, he thought about it, and he responded, yes, I do believe. And according to him, it was in that moment, in responding to that question, that he got saved. As Paul said, believe on the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved. One Muslim Uber driver told me that he believed that you have to do one good deed to make up for every bad, 10 bad deeds that you've done. And I wasn't quite sure how to respond to that. And so I was talking to a missionary in Indonesia about this, and he said, tell him about Adam and Eve. Okay. He said, Muslims believe in Adam and Eve because they're mentioned in the Quran. Adam and Eve committed one sin, and they were kicked out of the garden never to return. The scriptures are very clear. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. Not a certain number of sins, but the wages of sin, period. Whether that be one or a million, the consequence is death. And if that's not clear for you, James 2.10 says, for whoever keeps the whole law does everything right, but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. 
That's why God sent Jesus to die on the cross to pay for your sin. He knew that we could never be good enough to pay for it on our own. And number five is sharing. The evangelized becomes the evangelist. The woman at the well tells everyone about Jesus. She says, come see a man. This Samaritan woman leaves her water pot behind. She goes running into town to tell people the good news. Could this be the Messiah? He told me everything I ever did. And they're like, oh. With any three, when someone believes on Christ and is saved, often the new convert will say, I want you to come and share the message with my family and my friends. To which, through, to which the any three evangelists will say, uh, no. I want you to share it with them. You know the gospel now. You share it with your friends and family. And then let me know how it goes. This is a great way for the new convert to learn the gospel better. As they say, I remember 10% of what I read 20% of what I hear, 30% of what I see, 50% of what I see and hear. If you're a teacher, you want to engage those senses. 70% of what I discuss with others, 80% of what I experience by doing. But I remember 95% of what I teach others. I'm getting the best deal in the building today. So if you can get the new convert to turn around and teach that gospel message to others, they will learn the gospel much better themselves. This is how Jesus shared the gospel with the woman at the well. And this is how the gospel has spread around the world. People connecting personally with other people transitioning to spiritual things, talking about sin and the Savior and encouraging them to go share that gospel with others. Connection. Just talk about normal stuff. Nice weather we're having. Did you see the game? I like those kids of yours. Did you make them yourself? Number two is transition. Transition to the spiritual. Do you have a spiritual background? No, don't say it's as strong as I did. Do you have a spiritual background? Nice and easy. Number three, sin. Get to the issue of lostness or sinfulness. What are you doing about your sin problem? Number four, a savior. Get to the gospel. This is where we talk about, we say, what I believe is different. We have to distinguish Christianity from all the other works-based religions of the world. And then we share what I believe is different, and then we share the gospel. And five is sharing. Now it's their turn to turn around and tell others. Another great question that I love is, are you familiar with the gospel? This is a great little tool to put in your back pocket. If you only have a little time, this one gets to the point very quickly. My friend Adam Wilson, some of you know him, he was in India, and he, would, he went all over town tell, to ask him, do you know the gospel? Oh, no. And then he would share the gospel with people. Um, so you ask him, are you familiar with the gospel? If they say no... Then you just ask, well, do you mind if I tell you? And so far for me, everyone has responded positively. Just think about it. They have just admitted they don't know. They've admitted ignorance. 
And so when you ask, do you mind if I tell you, they're not going to say, uh, no, I want to stay dumb on this. Um, are you familiar with the gospel? If they say yes, then you're like, uh-oh, well, they said they know it. I guess, I guess I better go. No, uh, if they say yes, then you say, what's your understanding of the gospel? Because just because they say yes, they know the gospel does not mean they know the gospel. And have them tell you. And you might actually find, which I've found many times, that you're talking to a fellow believer. Um, uh, I found out in Dominican Republic a few months ago that I was talking to two pastors. <laughs> but I still wanted to make sure they knew the gospel. Um, or they might tell you something they think is the gospel, and you might have to say, what I believe is different, and then share the gospel with them. So after making sure they understand the gospel, check for faith. And that's where you ask them, do you believe? Do you believe that Jesus died for your sins? It's one thing to believe that Jesus is the savior of the world, but it's another thing to believe that Jesus died for my sins. Do you believe? And do you believe that Jesus rose from the dead? When you ask someone, do you believe? You are giving them an opportunity to make what may be their very first confession of faith. Romans 10 verse 9 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, or with sign language, that works too. If you confess that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's a good promise. You will be saved. People are not saved by decisions. They aren't saved by being smarter than other people. They are saved by faith, which is a gift from God. And God calls all who have saving faith to confess that faith with their mouth. When you ask someone, do you believe, you're going to get one of three answers. Yes, no, maybe so. And sometimes people react and they say, what if they say no? In the words of Marty McFly, I don't think I can take that kind of rejection. But it's not a problem. If they say, no, I don't believe, just change the subject. Well, I bet those Golden State Warriors will do better without Draymond anyway. Too soon? <laughs> no, you've done your job. You've shared the gospel. You've asked them if they believe. You've given them an opportunity to confess their faith. You've done all you can do. And at this point, it's okay to move on in the conversation. My friend Raj and I, we shared the gospel with a coworker of mine, and she looked up at us very sincerely, and she said, I just don't believe. And personally, I was a bit shocked. She was so candid. And maybe she will never believe. Or perhaps the Lord just hasn't pulled the blinders off her eyes yet. Now, I said earlier, you've done all you can, but really there's one more thing you can do, and that's to pray. Pray that God would soften their heart. Pray that he would grant them faith and save their soul. If they say no, they say no to Jesus, that answer may haunt them at night. They are rejecting the lover of their soul, and they may wrestle with that, and God may use that anxiety to lead them or bring them to salvation. If they say, no, I don't believe, you don't have to keep beating a dead horse. Don't keep badgering them. Don't be rude. 
But give them time to process and give the Holy Spirit time to work on their heart. Also, if they say no, don't just stand up and leave. Well, I guess this conversation is over. Bye. No, be kind. Be friendly. Change the subject and keep talking until the conversation naturally comes to a close. But what if they say yes? Now, if they say yes, don't be shocked. Don't fall out of your chair. Don't be like, whoa, 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 you do? You know, some of you are more afraid that they actually might say yes. You're kind of hoping for a no. Like, done. What if they say yes? Don't worry. If they say yes or maybe, there's two follow-up steps. Disciple them and encourage them to share their faith. Ooh, he said the D word. No, discipleship is not as hard as you think. Just read the Bible with them and talk about it. That's a hard. Let the word do the work. It's not so difficult. You can also go over the Bible storyboard with them if you want. It's in your bulletin, hopefully with the correct answers. Um, for extra help, you can use a tool like Open. Uh, OpenTheBible.org, it has 50 Bible lessons, and it they was purposely designed to help you and assist you in discipling a new believer. And you can just go through those lessons together. Each lesson includes a scripture reading, a short teaching, and some discussion questions. Charles Stanley, the former Charles Stanley, I think he died in the last year or so, he said, God's plan for enlarging his kingdom is so simple. One person telling another about the Savior. Yet we're busy and full of excuses. Just remember, someone's eternal destiny is at stake. The joy you'll have when you meet that person in heaven will far exceed any discomfort you felt in sharing the gospel. It's not as hard as you think. You too can share the gospel with anyone anywhere, at any time. Why don't you stand? Let's pray. Oh, Lord, this is the best news ever. Why do we keep it to ourselves? Lord, so often we are guilty. We, we care more about what other people think of us than we care about them. And I pray that our hearts would be filled with love for you and filled with love for others that would compel us to share the good news of Jesus with them. I ask that you would give us divine opportunities today and this week, that you would open doors, that you would give us wisdom as to what to say, that you would give us the courage to say it. Help us in making that transition from regular normal things to